Well, did you hear about that farmer that called the church office and asked to speak to the head hog at the trough? The receptionist said, excuse me, sir, if you want to speak to our beloved minister, you can call him reverend or pastor, but head hog at the trough, that's just not right. Well, the farmer said, well, I I see your point, but I just sold a bunch of sows, and I was going to give a $10,000 gift to the building campaign, and I was really hoping to catch him in. With that, the receptionist said, excuse me, I believe I see the little porker coming in now. (laughs) Well, friends, if you've been away for several weeks, it's probably not too hard for you to pick up on the fact that we are in the midst of our fall campaign called United. United in our mission, united in our ministry, united in our spiritual practices. And today, we're talking about united in giving. That's our emphasis. It's the day we make no bones about, about it, the simple fact that it takes our resources, our time, our talents, and our tithes. Or another way to put it is it takes our money, and it requires all of us making an effort to be the church together, united in our common witness and ministry to the world around us. You know, it's hard to talk so openly about money. Many of us do not like us to do that in church. But you know, Jesus spoke an awful lot about money and our relationship to it. And it's very important for us to look at that. I have to admit that I have grown a lot in this area of my life over the years. Each year, learning to share my resources a bit more generously. Sharing my time, my energy, and my money. But it's more than just giving money. It is a realization that together, together, united in this common witness and vision, we can make God's love real here, in this town, and all around the globe. In our services, we've had the mission, uh, someone from the mission team offered the pastoral prayer. And it's just amazing to think about all that we do, how far-reaching our ministry and mission is. When we are united with a common witness, a common vision, we can do so much more together. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving and gracious God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some sociological analyses come out today saying that today's young adults are greedy, they're narcissistic, they're lazy, and they're selfish. And marketeers or advertisers use that stereotype when it suits their financial strategies. But really, the young adults I know, they do not fit that mold. The ones I know are anything but greedy and selfish as young adults. And what I have seen and continue to see of this millennial generation is that the people are thoughtful and generous and committed to social justice. In our own congregation, we have recently commissioned two of our 2014 college graduates to go serve somewhere else for a year or more as a tithe of their lives, to go and be a part of something bigger than themselves. 
Last month, we actually, in the Magnolia service, commissioned our daughter, Abby, to go serve as a young adult volunteer in San Antonio, Texas, where she is tutoring in a very poor community, and she is fostering friendship in the name of Christ. And then three weeks ago, right here, we commissioned a daughter of our church, Alice Meckley, a child of this church, to go and serve as a Peace Corps volunteer in Cameroon, Africa. Alex wrote me yesterday and said, when I asked, how's it going? It's great. The place is beautiful. French. Now that's a bit of a struggle, but it's coming along. Two of our younger members graciously sharing of themselves to help alleviate human misery and heal the world. Two young adults generously giving of themselves. About six or seven years ago, Clark and I decided we wanted to take our family on a vacation that was of different sort. We didn't want it to just be all fun, so we did a little exploration and decided to go to Guatemala. Now, on purpose, on purpose we did this. <laughs> on purpose we signed our family up for language classes. So our young teenage boys, twins, were like, Five hours a day? We're in one-on-one -on -one Spanish classes? And this is vacation? Mm, yep, yes it is. And Clark and Ben and Zach stayed with one family, and Abby and I stayed with another, and every morning they'd knock on our door and we'd walk to school together. But during the trip, every day it seemed like we met these amazing young adults who were there in Guatemala serving. They were from Ireland and Scotland. They were from Australia and England, and a host of them were from the United States. And what were they doing there? Well, some were just traveling, but a lot of them were there to serve the poor, and many of them were there to serve their God as a way to volunteer and to help this world. Let me explain. The second day we were there, we stumbled into a little tiny restaurant, and there were only four other people in there, and our family came in and they spoke English, so we said, well, what are you doing here? And they said they were Peace Corps volunteers, young adults, gaining life experience, helping humanity. Right after they left, two gals came in. They were college students. What are you doing here? Oh, we're in college and we're volunteering for the summer with an organization called United Planet. I love this organization because it helps foster respect and cross-cultural communication and understanding, but their motto is, individually, we are one drop. Together, we are the whole ocean. I thought about that as I thought about our United campaign. Your act of service and your act of service and yours and yours and yours and yours, and individually, they're important, but together, what a wave of a difference we could make as we are united in mission and ministry. Well, the journey continued, and we met these four young adult volunteers who are from the Presbyterian Church in this little town, and one gal we hung out with a lot named Samantha. She was the local music school teacher. And I could tell you a lot about Samantha because we have happened to have kept up with her through the years, and now she's an ordained minister. So it's very exciting to see how these acts of sacrificial living transform our lives for the whole of our lives. Generous living, sacrificial sharing. Last December, the New York Times had an article and it said that they were called Millennial Searchers. And it said that the millennials 
those who are now between about the ages of 15 and 32, if, if you feel like you're in that generation, it can, we can fudge the years a little, but it's about uh, 1982 to 2000. The millennials are far more concerned with a meaningful life than they are with making more money. Reaching that goal means being connected to something that is bigger than themselves, something that's connected to others, to the planet, to a life purpose, to meaningful work. Meaning, they discovered, results from being a giver more than a taker. A giver more than a taker. It sounds a little bit like something Jesus said about finding your life by giving it away. So friends, I have to ask you this morning, where do you find meaning in your life? Are you more of a giver or a taker when you stop and really ask yourself? Are you giving your life away for Christ's sake? Are you giving your life to something bigger, something larger than yourself? I want you to think about that this week. Before we go too much farther, I want us to look at this text from Acts that we read. Clearly, it's after Pentecost, and the early church is just coming into being. They are still flushed from the Pentecost flames that flew through the community. It was a time of signs and wonders. It was a time of extraordinary, evangelistic, um, effective preaching. They, the church was exploding. Earlier in Acts, it says the church now had about 5,000 members. The new followers now have all come to Jerusalem, and that makes it's kind of crowded, and so making a living is even more challenging and difficult. And our text gives us, gives us a little insight into how they responded to this economic challenge. They valued each other, and they employed the practice of sharing their money and their possessions. They cared for one another's needs. They were united in their mission, united in heart and soul, the scripture says, to something bigger than themselves. Luke says that the believers held all things in common. That's a phrase in Greek philosophy meaning friendship. These new Christians befriended one another to the extent that some sold their possessions to care for the needy among them. No doubt this is why Luke includes the story of a man whose life was absolutely transformed. Transformed in the church because he had an experience of God's grace that changed him. His name was Joseph and he was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned some land, land that he thought he would never let go of or sell because at that time land or in that part of the world is so precious. It means just about everything to a family. But Luke tells us that something happened within him in that fledgling community such that he opened the grasp on his possessions and sold the land, giving the proceeds to the apostles. Whatever happened to Joseph is not just about money or land. What happened to Joseph was about something on the inside, so much so that it changed the way he greeted the world so much so that it changed the way he lived his life, so much so that the apostles gave him a new name, changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Luke understood that when we are united in mission and vision, united in a community where the resurrection is proclaimed, transformation happens. 
lives are changed when they are touched by the precious gift of God's love. And people are free to live more generous lives, not holding so tightly to the things that don't last. It's crazy, right? I mean, foolishness. I mean, Barnabas, what was he thinking? Was he just a little too enthusiastic? A little too religious? Or is that what has happened when someone is really touched by the transforming love of Jesus Christ? There's no more business as usual. We find new ways to love and serve and give of ourselves to God. Learning to live more as a giver than a taker. Learning to give to this one from whom we have received everything. And that frees us, friends, from the treadmill of unsatisfied desire. This generous living, this stewardship of our lives is really at its core less about money than more about joyful giving of ourself to God. Joyfully giving our gifts of time and money. But how do we do it? I mean, really, how do we practice this generous living? The biblical pattern for the practice of generosity is the tithe. Linda and Jack spoke so eloquently about it on the video. The tithe, according to the Old Testament, is the first 10% of our income. It's our first fruits we offer back to God. In the Christian tradition, the spiritual practice by which... We, it is a spiritual practice by which we order our financial priorities around our commitment to Christ. We order our financial priorities around our commitment to Jesus Christ. You see, giving of money is to God's work is a reflection of our heart and our attitude towards God, and our monetary gift is a symbol of our total self-giving now, tithing can be a real stretch for us, especially if we've never done it before. It reminds me of a story I heard from Highland Park Methodist Church over in Dallas. And there was a young man, and he was new in the church, and he and this young pastor committed to one another to tithe, that they would always make that covenant and pledge that they would tithe. And so as the years went by, they were faithful. And when that layman made $10,000, made $10, he gave 1000 and when he made $100,000 that year, he wrote a $10,000 check to the church. And when he made his first million, he wrote $100,000 to the church. But the year he made $6 million, he just could not find it in himself to write a $600,000 check to the church. So he tracked down the minister and he asked if he could meet with him. And he had long since moved, so he found the church, and he walked into the office, and he begged him, please, please do something. You've got to get me out of this tithe, this covenant commitment. I mean, it's killing me. I cannot afford $600,000 to the church. Do something, Reverend. With that, the pastor got down on his knees, prayed silently for a long time. The man was getting kind of nervous. What are you praying about? Are you asking God to get me out of that commitment? No. I'm asking God to reduce the level of your income so that $1,000 will be a sufficient tithe. <laughs> Tithing. It's a bit of a challenge for us, isn't it? For many of us. 
our level of anxiety goes up just a little bit when we talk about anything to do with money. So today I want to make a point that if we're just talking about a number, we're kind of missing the mark. Because we are really talking about having our lives transformed by the love of Jesus Christ in our midst and freely and joyfully and generously sharing our gifts with the community of faith. Tithing, it's very difficult, but I believe it is one of the most significant issues of our spiritual growth. Quite frankly, many of us are really stingy with our gifts. Quite frankly, we have been blessed mightily. Reminds me of the story of the $20 bill and the $1 bill. They're chatting, they're waiting in line, for shredding and incineration. The $20 bill says, I have no complaints. I have had the best life. I have been to Vail. I have been to Broadway. I have been in the Riviera. The $1 bill says, not me. Not me, it's been boring. Same thing, week in and week out. Church, church, church. Many of us are very stingy, even with that dollar. Come on, it all is a gift from God in the first place. Tithing can be hard. It can be a challenge. But stepping up and boldly proclaiming with our gifts, our sacrificial gifts, that we believe that God is the God of the universe and all that we have is a gift from God, well, making that financial commitment is one way of proclaiming that. Clark and I tithe. Actually, we tithe a little more than 10%, but we remember how hard it is when you're starting out and how difficult it can be. It's especially hard when you have lots of bills or when you are overwhelmed by debt. But friends, we need to be liberated from a lifestyle of financial anxiety and selfishness that is encouraged by this culture of materialism and consumerism in which we live. A few years ago, Parenting Magazine did a survey of, and they found out that 49% of the respondents could not even cover one month's expenses if one paycheck was missing. That's frightening. That's a huge number of people. And a new study that has just come out from Kansas State University has revealed that no matter how much money a person makes, there are more fights over money are the biggest contributors to divorce. Jack and Linda said their marriage got closer, stronger, when they began to tithe. You talk more as a family. You talk about everything a little more carefully. You plan differently. It does change your life for the better. The tithe is one of the historical principles of our tradition that helps to liberate us from the addiction to stuff and forces us to, to be intentional about the other 90%. When we tithe or we are making a good effort with our stewardship, financially speaking, we think about money differently and every single dollar has a mission. Every single dollar has a mission. You know where your money is. You have much better accounting. Tithing can be very challenging, and every one situation is unique, but Scripture does speak of the tithe as a starting point. Sally, I can't do that. I mean, that's crazy. I, there's no way I can do that. You might, perhaps you might be saying. 
And so I want to ask you to think about these few simple steps. Ask yourself, as a first step, how can I live a little bit more generously and lovingly towards God? Perhaps then say to yourself, the next time that the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class is being taught here at Hyde Park, I'm going to be there and I'm going to commit to these practices and I'm going to try to get out from under the suffocating debt in which I live. Or perhaps you could say, I am going to make a proportionate gift to the church on a proportionate level of my income. And with God's grace, over time, I'm going to try to raise that up to the level God is asking me to give. Start where you are, wherever you are, and just start. Or maybe try tithing for three months, for three months, one quarter of the year. I'm going to try it and see how it works in your family's life. And if you recognize that your financial abilities are a tithe is not a burden to you at all, then I hope you will go beyond that as you make your pledge to the church. Generous giving, extravagant generosity does not come from God's demand on us, but it comes from our response out of love and joy and our response as we try to honor God with our lives. Our desire to grow spiritually and to be a part of this united mission of which we are all a part. I hope that everyone will have a thoughtful, make a thoughtful and informed decision about their giving level. Choosing a level that is proportional, a percentage of your income, it is joyful. It's not begrudging or not resentful. No, do it joyfully and maybe also a bit sacrificially. Giving to the point where it hurts maybe just a little, but keep giving until you find great joy. If we don't make prayerful, thoughtful commitments in this regard, a thousand influences will come in the way and drive us toward increasing our standard of living at the expense of our standard of giving. Before I close, I want to take a moment and have you just look around at this place, this sanctuary. And I want you to think about all those generous folks who came before us. Every sanctuary and chapel in which we have worshipped. Every church organ that has ever lifted our spirits. Every pew upon which we have sat. Every communion rail where we have knelt. Every hymnal from which we have sung. Every praise band that has touched our hearts. Every church classroom where we have gathered with our friends. Every church kitchen where meals have been prepared, every church van that has taken us to camp, every church camp cabin that we have lived in and slept in during the week, all of it, all of it, every bit of it is the fruit of someone's extravagant generosity, and we have received grace upon grace. We are heirs of their benevolent giving. We have been touched by folks who's, who have been touched by the love of Jesus Christ and thought ahead and gave of themselves so that Christ's love could be made real. It's all been a gift. And so I ask you, as we walk together during this united campaign, for you to prayerfully consider how you can freely and joyfully and generously give to the work of Jesus Christ.
so that those who come after us, and maybe even the one sitting right next to you now, can be touched anew by the amazing love and truth of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we recognize that all that we have comes from you, and we are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And we desire to serve you and invest in the work of your church. Give us wisdom and courage as we seek to be faithful with our financial resources. Help us to do it joyfully and lovingly. Help us to take that next step, whatever it is for us. We pray in your name. Amen.